We're continuing on in our summer in the Psalms, Psalm 145, and really right out of the gate in this Psalm, we're hit with a word that really helps us unpack the Psalm. It really is what the whole Psalm is about. And at the same time, I would venture to guess it's a word that we're really not familiar with, a word that we really don't use. David says there, right towards the beginning, I will extol you, my God and my King extol, all right? Like if you scan through your text messages from the past year, I'm guessing that word doesn't show up, right? Like what, like extol, that sounds like something I should do that I'm supposed to do, but I don't really know what that means, all right? Um, a couple pictures to help us understand what's going on there, all right? One from the sports world. Let's travel back in time, 2018. Let me see if I have any Washington Capitals fans here, right? Washington Capitals, Game five of the, the Stanley Cup, it's a nail-biter, four to three. They win the Stanley Cup. And that's when I learned about this tradition in hockey. I had never learned it before then because I'd really never watched hockey for, before then because I'm from North Carolina. But uh, I'm watching the Caps, they win the Stanley Cup. And that's where I learned there's this tradition where when you win the National Hockey League Championship, they give you the trophy, the Stanley Cup, and each player gets to take a turn skating around the rink with the trophy. And I was like, that's pretty cool, right? Usually they'll start with the captain and each player takes the trophy and lifts it high and skates around the rink. That lifting high, that's what extol means. It means to lift high, to raise up. And so we see a picture of it there after every Stanley Cup. The, the, the players skate around and lift high and celebrate and rejoice in their victory and their accomplishments. Maybe sports aren't your thing, so let's shift gears and go to stories. Kids, have you seen The Lion King? All right. I watched the animation one. There's like a live action one too as well. Like, but Lion King, in both of them, we see a picture of extolling. You know what it is? It's when little Simba is born, right? Do you remember what Rafiki the monkey does? He takes the little lion cub and he runs up high onto Pride Rock and then he lifts up Simba, extolling and exalting this cub while the animal kingdom rejoices. That's extolling. That's what that means, to lift high. And it's not just sports and it's not just stories. It's each and every one of our lives. All right, um, we instinctively and obsessively lift someone or something high all the time. With our wallets, with our words, with our hearts, with our minds, we are creatures who extol. So you might not know the word or how to use it in a conversation, but we do it all the time. And here in Psalm 145, David is saying, this is the one you should really extol. And this is what it looks like. This is what your life looks like when you extol him. So let's pray and dive into Psalm 145. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word and by your spirit. Open our eyes, open our ears, save us from distractions. Our desire this morning, our great need is to see your son and our savior, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Two themes for us this morning, two themes that we're going to focus on, lifting high the king and living for the king, lifting high the king and living for the king. We've talked about extol already. So if we're talking about lifting high the king, that, that what, that's what David's talking about. He says, I will extol you, my God and king, and bless your name forever and ever. 
It's helpful to know if you were to read this psalm in um, the, the Hebrew, the original language, it's actually written as an acrostic, all right? So each line begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, all right? David does that, authors do that, and one reason is to help us remember the lyrics, right? And we do this in modern songs too, right? L is for the way you look tonight. Oh, it's, I'm not gonna sing it, but you know, like you could, rem- you could finish that because it's an acrostic and you know it. Same principle here. David wants us to lift high the king and he's written a poem with an acrostic so that we might remember it. And he's bookended in the first verse, he's talked about, I'm going to lift high my God and my king. And then by the time you get to the very end, the last verse, he's actually calling for all creation. He's talking about all flesh, blessing the name of the king forever. He gives us a couple reasons why we should lift high the king. Two areas he focuses on lifting high the king. One, because of who he is, and two, because of what he does. Who he is and what he does. You could say it another way, because of his graciousness and his greatness. All right, let's start with his graciousness. Look at what he says there, verse eight. He, he gives a summary of who God is. This is who God is. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You should know this, those words, they're not original to David, all right? David's sampling another artist, all right? You guys know even today, uh, you know, musical artists sample other artists. David is borrowing these words from someone else. He's actually borrowing these words from Moses. Moses is the first one to speak these words. Exodus 34, verse six, Moses has asked God, hey, God, I want to see your glory. Do you remember this scene? Moses, God, I, I want to experience you. I want to see your glory. And so then Moses is head, hidden in the cleft of a rock. And God passes by. And do you remember what Moses hears as God passes by? He hears the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Moses here, hears God declare some of who he is. This isn't all of who he is. It would take eternity to declare all of who an eternal God is, but this is something very real and substantial about who God is. And Moses hears it and David's just recalling it. He's bringing it to mind. This is one of the most popular quotes in the Old Testament. Over and over again, we hear this is who God is. And in this Psalm, he invites us to go to that same place, to hide ourselves in that cleft and hear who God is. So this morning, you're invited to stop, to stop talking, to stop scrolling, to stop hustling, to stop and hear who your God is. A God abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger, merciful and gracious. I would imagine some of you this morning are anxious about a new school year. Some of you are sending sons away to college. Some of you are preparing classrooms to go and teach in. Some of you are trying to figure out how you're going to do homeschool. Uh, Some of you kids are anxious to go and navigate high school hallways. Stop and hear who your God is, who will be with you this year. Slow to anger and abounding 
in steadfast love. That's why we lift up this God. That's why we lift up this great king. But it's not just because of who he is. It's also because of what he's done. It's because he's gracious and he's great. And, and throughout all these verses, he gives reason after reason of, and, and points us to God's greatness. We could spend several weeks on this psalm. Let me encourage you today, this week, just spend some time lingering over it. Uh, this time is not enough to really fill it. So spend some time tonight, this week. Verses four through six, David says, look at God's mighty acts. Look at his awesome deeds, his wondrous works. And he doesn't have to get more specific than that because they could probably fill in the blank. Think about his creation. The audience would think about the Exodus. The audience might think about Jericho. What comes to your mind when you fill in the blank of God's awesome acts in your life, his wondrous works? But he does get more specific later on down in the Psalm. He talks about what God does. Verse 14, he upholds all who are falling, raises up all who are bowed down. David says, God helps the inadequate. God helps those who are falling. God helps those who are in trouble. Does that describe anyone here this morning? Are you falling at work? Are you falling in your, as a student, in your relationship with your roommates? Are things falling? Are you bowed down? That picture is of someone who is hurting and in need of help. David says, God is someone, God helps those who are falling. Verses 15 and 16, he gives food to all creatures, satisfies the desire of every living thing. <clears throat> These verses right here point us to a really helpful doctrine, this notion of God's common grace. That is, there is something that every human, every man, woman, boy, and girl, regardless of what they believe, there is a mercy and grace they experience from God. You know, Jesus talks about this uh, in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what he says? He says, God makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and unjust. No one deserves the sun. No one earns the rain you experience because God is a good and gracious God. That's the common grace that, that's spoken of here in verses 15 and 16. There's a lot more we could say about that. But then in verses 18 and 20, he moves from common grace to saving grace. He said, God is near those to, to those who call on him. He hears the cry and saves those who fear him, preserves those who love him. God is a protector and a provider. He hears our prayers. He rescues us. And then if you will look there in verse 20, there are these stark and stern words of judgment. These words that maybe they, they, they change the tone a little bit. Maybe you read them and they make you feel uncomfortable. Like, well, we were doing all good. I felt all okay. And then I read these words, all the wicked he will destroy. What's going on there? Friends, that's a problem. All the wicked he will destroy. That's a problem for all of us. And let me tell you why. It's because instead of lifting high this great and good king, this gracious king, with all that we have and all that we are, you know what you've done and you know what I've done? I've lifted high lesser kings. We've lifted high lesser kings. And I don't know what it is for you. 
I don't know what lesser kings you might be tempted to lift high. Maybe it's like uh, the lesser king of worldly success and accomplishments. Maybe in your life, if people were to ask you, like, what are you skating through life holding up? Maybe you're holding up worldly accomplishments and possessions. Maybe like that's what you're extolling and exalting. Maybe the lesser king that you're tempted to hold up are, are political figures or entertainment figures. Maybe like you've put all your hope in a candidate and people hear you talk about and speak about and think about more about that person than about your great God in heaven. I was thinking this week too, like, because of the enlightenment and like our reflex and the reflex of the world out there often will want to exalt and hold up and make science a king. Say, Rob, that's kind of weird. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. Um, First, I love science. My father-in-law is a biotech researcher. Science is great, but science is a tool. It is never meant to be the chief end of all things because science helps us discover and describe, it doesn't help us decide and direct. Science tells us what is, not what we ought to do. So it makes a wonderful tool and a terrible king. There is only one good and true and great king that leads and guides and directs and hears and cares for us. But here's the thing. The lesser king that each and every one of us lifts up is ourselves, right? Like we're We're tempted in all kinds of ways to extol and exalt ourselves. That was uh, the problem from the beginning in the garden with Adam and Eve. They uh, were created and provided for by their, their God, had everything they need. They had only one rule. And they said to all of that, we hear you, God, but we're going to ignore and rebel against that. And we are going to go our own way. We're going to lift ourselves up over your authority and try to do things on our own. And that same reflex that same instinct, that same wickedness and sin is inside of us all. And verse 20 says, the wicked he will destroy. So what's our hope? Our hope is still in who God is and what he's done. Who God is and what he's done. Our hope is the reality that this great king came to earth. That's our hope. You know, David talked about wondrous works and mighty deeds. And really all he had to see were shadows and signposts that were pointing to the true wondrous work that was to come. Our hope is that the king came to earth and we just went through Mark, remember in the spring and all of last year, we spent time going through Mark and talking about how Jesus is this promised king and he comes and he exercises authority over the physical world and the spiritual world and sickness and death. And he's not extolled and put high up on a throne like some wanted him to be and some thought he would be. He was lifted high up on a cross. He destroys the wicked ones. Here's the deal. Jesus took the destruction and he gives us the rescue. That's the gospel. That's our hope. That's why we exalt this king. All right, so lifting high the king and living for the king. Two ways we can live for the king, all right? We live for the king by lifting him high up for the next generation and lifting him high up in the world. One of my favorite passages in scripture 
All right, we see it, verse four, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Listen, you wanna live for the king, tell the next generation about what he's done. Friends, God cares about the next generation. You ever wonder like, what's the deal with all those genealogies, like in Genesis and Matthew? Like, that's kind of weird. God cares about generations. One of my favorite uh, scenes is in Joshua chapter four. God's people are about to go into the promised land. All right, they've got to cross over a great river. God actually stops the river for them. And do you remember what he asked them to do? God says, hey, I'm gonna need you to take 12 stones out of that river and stack it up on the other side. That's kind of weird. You know why he does this? God says, because there's gonna come a time when your children are gonna see that stack of stones and they're gonna say, hey, hey mom, hey, hey dad, hey, hey fun uncle, you know? Like, um, what's the deal with that stack of stones? And that's going to give you the opportunity to speak of what happened here. That's going to give you the opportunity to let the next generation know how great God is and what God has done. That's how much God cares about the next generation. Um, just a thought for us as you know, those of us that are parents and us as a church. Parents, I think this presents a great challenge to us. Parents, I think it's often tempting for us to think that, well, I check the box when I bring my kids to church and I get them involved in church. I just wanna let you know, the challenge with that is if you get them involved in a couple hours on Sunday, but yet Monday through Saturday, they see you lifting high something else, that's really confusing for your kids. All right, so the challenge is they see us lift high God on Sunday and we need to wrestle to lift high God before them and with them Monday through Saturday. And trust me, I know this is really hard. And I failed and we all fail at doing this. And that's why we rejoice that um, God's faithfulness is greater than our failures and his promise isn't contingent on our competence. But as parents, we're called for the next generation that he's blessed us with to lift high this God. And I see some of you and know that you're trying to do this as a single parent. And I know you're trying to do this maybe as a parent in a broken marriage and God sees you and knows you. And David doesn't call us here to be perfect parents, but to lift high a perfect God and cling to him and run to him and make sure our kids know he's our hope, he's our peace. So that's how we do it in our families. That's how we try to do it in our families. And as a church, we wanna invest in the next generation. We want Wes to grow up and know the steadfast love of God. All right, we, we are thankful for all the kids. As much as I joke about it, we are thankful that the Lord has blessed us with children in this church and they seem to be coming every week, all right? We're thankful for that. We want this to be a place where children can be safe and shown Jesus. We want it to be a place where teenagers can come and ask hard questions and make friends that are centered on Christ because it's a hard time to be a teenager and college students and international college students and fellows to come because let me let you in on something here. There's gonna be a day where I'm not gonna be here. And every adult in the room, there's gonna be a day when you're not going to be here. And the church is going to be moved forward by the next generation, by these kids that you see around you in the service. That's why we invest in them. That's why God's heart is for the next generation. While we're on the subject of kids in the worship service, all right? 
since I can preach from it from this text, I'll just say it. We love kids in the worship service. We don't mind the occasional distraction. We don't want to be the church where parents get like scowls and frowns. All right. Don't be that person. All right. We want children to be comfortable here. It's one of the most strategic things you can do is have your kids worship with you in the children's or in the service. And hey, every family's different. Every kid's different. There's not a perfect way to do it. But man, we should be thankful that there's the noise of kids in our services. All right, living, living for the king. We lift him up. We live for him by um, lifting him up for the next generation. And finally, quickly, we lift him up in the world. All right, just go through this psalm. All right, underline all the verbs and see how many of them have to do with speaking. Speaking about who God is. And then go through the psalm again and look about all the places and all the ways and how often David calls us to do this, to declare forth, to praise, to speak. This king, this great king God wants his kingdom to move into every space. Do you ever notice in our worship guide that we pray for the marketplace workers? Let's take, for example, this week. Did you see who it was? It's musicians. Right? We're praying that God's kingdom would go forward through musicians into those spaces. Uh, Christians should be the most creative artists because they know they bear the image of the great creator. And we should pray for them. Wherever you are, teachers, school administrators, going to the Pentagon, changing a diaper, whatever you're doing this week, you're called to lift high God, to speak of his greatness and his goodness, to cling to him in the world as you live your life. Um, I said it at the beginning of the sermon, we are chronic extollers. We're going to do it. It's not if, but who or what. My, my prayer and my hope is this week, we'll pray about how was God's reign becoming a reality in my life? As I'm skating through this week, what am I lifting high? What do I need to repent of for the lesser gods that I've lifted high and thankfully receive his grace and then enter into the world, enter into relationships, lifting high our King. Let me pray for us. Father, our hope is not in our performance. Our hope is in the reality that Christ was lifted high on a cross where he gave his life our hope is in the most wondrous deed and the greatest action that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's where our hope lies and you are a king that has given your life and so we lift you up. We extol you, Father, in this service, in this week and for all of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.